0: On this episode of Powered by Battery, we speak with Dee Wakefield, CEO of fintech firm Alligent. Alligent sells into banks and credit unions, many of which are realizing now, more than ever, the need to modernize their technology. Wakefield also talks to us about the management challenges and opportunities she's grappled with during COVID-19. Have a listen. Well, Dee Wakefield, welcome to Powered by Battery.
1: Thanks, Becky. I'm excited to be here.
0: All right. Great. Great. Well, Allergen is a company that's obviously in the thick of the rapidly changing world of financial technology as a software maker uh, and a digital transformer. Maybe you could start just at a high level um, talking to us about how generally the pandemic has affected Allergen and, you know, maybe demand for your products. Sure.
1: You know, we haven't seen a lot of change in the demand or interest in our products as a result of the pandemic but we've seen pauses, right? As financial institutions have needed to reprioritize their immediate um, efforts and and look kind of internal in the wake of COVID, um, thinking about what they need to do for their customers and their members. Um, so there was certainly um, a bit of a delay in 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 sales and conversations and um, in interest, but. Um, but it was more of, of a pause rather than, than a real sea change. Um, we also, though, w- when I think about what we deliver to financial institutions, we really are uh, a replacement um, product of some, of some kind. Most of FinTech really is. We're replacing antiquated systems with newer, you know, more innovative solutions. So while the you know, shutdowns, um, impacted things from a pause perspective. I think if they did anything to help our business, they highlighted to many of the banks and credit unions what was inadequate in the solutions they were providing to their consumers and to their members.
0: That that's interesting. What are there any specific examples of that? I mean, I know for instance, some of your business has to do with automatically processing paper checks, right?
1: Yeah, so obviously one of the most um, sought after solutions um, after everything started to shut down and people couldn't walk into branches for a good month, six weeks, if not two months in some, in some, uh, in some states, um, one of the things we saw a significant increase in from a transactional perspective was the um, processing and the depositing of a check using their mobile phone. Um, you know, that has had an evolution over the years going from being, um, you know, kind of an an interesting, innovative tool that, you know, large banks are initially started to um, to roll out to their consumers. Um, and has turned really to more being kind of um, and was a competitive advantage to really being table stakes now. Um, and what we've seen is that. Um, there what there, there historically was, was a, you know, a segment of, of the, of the consumer base that um, was otherwise hesitant in the past, potentially to, to deposit their checks on their mobile phone, either due to security or not wanting to work, work the camera, whatever it might've been. Um, and a lot of those, the, the, that separation of, of kind of the, the different kind of tiers of, of the the consumer, have really gone away because of necessity, um, which you know means that um, the banks and credit unions that we've spoken to of recent, um, their biggest question now is, does it stay? Does somebody who out of necessity in April needed to deposit a check using their mobile phone because there was really no other way for them to do it? And how do you get them to keep coming back and doing it um, rather than you know going backwards and thinking that the only way now they can do it again now that the branches are slowly opening back up is to go back inside. It's not that they don't want them back inside, but they know this is a more convenient method for them. So some of that is now what they're starting to tackle as it relates to behavior.
0: Right. If if grandma can do a zoom to talk to the grandkids, maybe she'll continue uh, right. taking pictures of her checks. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, we'll talk, talk a little bit about the whole business of paper checks. I mean, I've always found this um, theme so interesting with Allergy because, you know, in some ways with all these online payment options we have and how the world is moving, um, I think, who is writing checks anymore? But it turns out an awful lot of people, right? Consumers and businesses.
1: It is um, an awful lot um, of people. And yes, businesses account for um, a pretty large percentage. Um, part of the reason for that is due to their own um due to two things one um checks still allow small businesses which make up the majority of the businesses in this country they still allow small b- businesses to manage cash flow in a way that they um could not do if everything was automated and secondly you know systems accounting systems which are um you know have been in place in many um in organizations for many many years the um, just the, the ease of cutting checks and, and putting checks in the mail is still very much a part of just the accounts payable process. Um, so those things are really a lot of what keeps the, uh, the, the, uh, the checks in the in the market from a business perspective. But you'd be surprised, I'm sure, to know that there, are four, there were 14 and a half billion checks still written in 2019, which is a pretty oh big God. number. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty big number. It's also the average value of a check um is upwards of a thousand dollars so there's two things and from a phenomenon perspective on a consumer or on a on a consumer basis rather than a business basis related to why people still write checks and one of them has to do with a comfort of size of check writing checks that are of size people still feel like writing that check and handing it to someone when it's a high dollar value is I don't know if it's safer. I don't know if it just feels better. But for whatever reason, they would rather do that than then have it you know automatically debited or wired or whatever the case may be. Um, so those kind of behaviors are still impacting the fact that you know while paper checks have been declining for years, um, going back to you know the mid two thousand five two thousand six time frame, they have been declining, uh, but they. What started as a rapid decline as other payment mechanisms were introduced into the market has really slowed and tapered off. And they're just the decline is just not as substantial. Um, And, you know, for us, Alligent, you know, our role in the financial institution ecosystem is to allow banks and credit unions and help them to continue to accept those checks for as long as they continue to be in the ecosystem.
0: Right, 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 right. And and you guys over the last several years have also made a couple of acquisitions, including some large ones, right? Kind of predicated on this thesis.
1: We have, yeah. So when Allegent was um, spun out of Jack Henry, we very quickly um, acquired about 45 days later, um, a second financial or a second FinTech company that was providing check processing and content management solutions. Um, and that allowed us then to really um, uh, service the entire um, 11,000 financial institution market as it related to check processing and item processing and, and check deposit type of solutions. Um, the smallest you know, credit union and the largest bank, um, we had solutions for them. But that was also about us helping banks and credit unions with Uh, workflow, document workflow, you know, content workflow inside of their organization in order so that, you know, if you're a member and you walk into a credit union and you already have an account and now you want to get an auto loan, uh, because remember, especially in the credit union space, a lot of members use their credit union for multiple um, services. Um, You know, having a solid content and document management solution allows that member to not have to go dig out those same papers again, because it's already archived. Okay.
0: Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, what's on everyone's mind, I think at least for other CEOs, you know, or company founders who might be listening to this, which is how you manage through uh, such a crisis. Tell me a little bit about what the last six months have been like, you know, as a leader, how how has this tested you, maybe, and how how are you managing as far as you know where you're getting advice? Who who are you turning to for advice and counsel during these times?
1: Yeah, so um, it's definitely been a challenging time as a leader. Um, from an advice perspective, you know, I would say I've definitely been connecting more frequently with with peers and, and colleagues who are running businesses or running departments in larger organizations to share stories and learn what they're doing. So if somebody who's running, you know, who is a CMO of a multi-billion dollar company and, and, and she can share with me, you know, what her organization is doing related to communications or related to office openings, you know, it, it, it helps to, to kind of fuel my, you know, my ideas of what I need to do for my own organization, because you do feel like I, Even though I've got a leadership team and I've got a, a, you know, HR department, you do as a CEO feel like you're a bit on an Island, um, needing to be, you know, all of this is on our shoulders to make the right decisions for what the company, um, should do. When should we open, you know, should we go back, you know, do we open travel up? I mean, all those questions that are coming at us. Um, and even as a company of only, you know, 225 people, those, those things they want to know, um. So that's been right. that's been super um helpful for, for me to to just connect more frequently with people that are that are navigating this as
0: well. Right, right. Well, to dive a little deeper on one of those topics, which is you know, work from home and office reopening, any lessons that you gleaned from work from home? I mean, you know, some CEOs say, wow, I was surprised at how effective my team was working from home, while others are saying, I can't wait to get back to the office.
1: Yeah, you know, we already were a semi-remote workforce. We already had about 25-30% of the organization working from home. Um, so shifting to remote from a process perspective and from an internal organization perspective, I would say um, there were there were no hiccups. It was super easy, you know, on, you know, one night I Enough had come through the news that I made the decision we weren't going to go back in the next day. You know, an email went out and the next morning, everybody was just logging in from their kitchen table. You know, there really were, were, was, no, was no pause to being able to support our customers and continue to, to do, um, you know, what we need to do as an organization. But I would say that um, what I've learned going remote um, is though we didn't lose anything from a productivity perspective, um, immediately, I think because I still did have 70% of the organization coming into one of the four, one of our four offices every day, what you started to lose was that informal office conversation, um, that you just might've seen somebody in the hallway, or you might've run into them in the break room, or you might've even just walked out with them on the way to go get lunch. Um, and you know, you just, you hear things, you, you, you know, you chat about things and that informal kind of office chatter, um, it really has a place in, in, in innovating and improving your business. And, and, um, and I think that's the piece that has taken longer to see, um, but it's there um, because there's just not that same amount of, I don't know, osmosis, really. I think the other thing I learned was that I didn't make any sort of mandate early on as it related to um, video um, conferencing. Um, so I would say for at least the first month to, to, six weeks, maybe even two months, there were a lot of conference calls, obviously, you know, a lot of meetings. Um, but people kind of, um, were in their own, you know, in their own little world as it related to whether or not they want were on video or not on video and, and nothing was mandated. Um, but it also wasn't encouraged. And, um, once I started encouraging it more often and encouraging my leadership team to push it more often, um, I think it became more more normal to see each other on a screen. Um, of course, it wasn't required, but I think that started to bring some of the connection back to each other.
0: Yeah, we f- we found that at Battery. I think we we had a, a video, n- maybe not a mandate, but a strong recommendation for video early on, and I think that I think that did help. Well, any. Any lessons that you've learned during this, you know, crazy work from home pandemic time that you know let's let's hope that we're back to normal at some point soon that you're going to carry over. I mean, maybe anything surprising you learned where you said, "Hey, I didn't expect that that would be important." Maybe it relates to communication with the team or uh, how you interact with your exec team. Any other lessons that you think you're going to apply once things get back to some semblance of normal?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say communication. Uh, very early on, and in, in mid-March when we shut down, I started sending out communications, you know, weekly, then, then it turned to bi-weekly. Now it's about every three weeks there, I I send something out to the, to the team, to the entire employees uh, base. And the feedback I've gotten of just um, hearing from me and in hearing about, even if it's one sentence about something that, that, you know, we did in sales or we released in product, uh, you know, um, that, that is, um, they 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 like it. They enjoy it. They like to hear it. Waiting waiting for the quarterly meeting um, is probably you know going a full quarter. It may be too long. Um, and I think that that's something that um, you know that I will uh, I will continue um, even once you know we are kind of all back face to face and we're seeing each other um, is just keeping that connection with the entire with the larger base of of employees um, because I think that it created. Um, you know, everybody's, everybody is, is, is anxious. There's anxiety. Everybody's stressed out during this time there. You know, if you're a parent, you're balancing, you know, working from home and your kids working from home and, you know, daycares were closed and schools were closed. And so there's, there's lots of balancing and, and anxiousness around that. And, and, and if you don't have kids at home, you know, you also are potentially dealing with, you know, aging parents that you're trying to keep safe and you're worried about and all kinds of things. Um, and so just having that, um, adding some of that personal, um, my, what I'm going through personally into those communications, I think has connected and resonated with the employees in a way that, um, that I will continue, you know, may mean that a handful more of us could be in the office at the same time, but, but I also actually think that, um, Knowing you can have a balance with working from home and working in the office um, and that people are productive, um, I think that while we never had a hard and fast rule related to um, allowing people days at home versus in the office, um, that is probably something I'll additionally carry forward um, to give people more flexibility.
0: Those are those are great lessons. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. We're hearing some similar things from other other CEOs we're talking to. Um, well, just kind of final topic, maybe we could just go back to the business for a minute and, and think about maybe business opportunities that might have presented themselves because of the pandemic. I don't know if that's something you can talk a little bit about. You know, we talked about MA. you guys have been you know somewhat acquisitive in the past. Are there new or different kinds of M&A opportunities perhaps or just partnership opportunities for Alligent now or going forward?
1: yeah you know m a is definitely one of our strategies. Um, and like we talked about earlier we we we've done some over over our over our past. Um, I would say you know there's 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 two things related to m a that have been interesting during this pandemic, right you know it's it's hard it's hard to conduct m a when you can't travel and you can't meet people. Um, so doing things, um, all remotely is, is, is a bit of a, of a different, um, way to do things, but, um, but it has meant that, um, I think in our space and and with the types of, um, the types of, uh, businesses that, you know, we want to work with, we've, we have found that, um. We that all of us, um, because, you know, we aren't traveling, we aren't spending up to, you know, an hour and a half, two hours in the car to drive to an office every day, um, we, we all are a little more available. That's the one thing that's been, that's actually been kind of interesting too, is that um, if you, if you go back six months, you know, most of us, um, in that most of us were not available 40 hours, you know, a week, you're available some portion of that because you've got other things you're doing. Um, and in some cases it's the travel and it's the commute and all these things that, that make, and so now things are, you're able to, to conduct business a, a bit faster than you were before. And so we're finding that we're a, we've been able to, um, engage with, with partners that, You know, we're always on our radar, and they were we were always on there.
0: Right. One topic I did want to make sure we talked about was um, integrating acquisitions. Mm -hmm. You know, because your acquisition of BluePoint was obviously quite large. I don't know when you think about you think about how that process went, and I know you personally were very hands-on there. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Maybe lessons you learned, and you know, if you guys were to do another big deal. Post COVID, I don't know if the integration would be different. Perhaps because more people are working remotely. Perhaps because you can do some of these things more quickly, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I haven't really thought about how integration will change. But as you pose the question, um, a lot of thoughts run through my head related to integration because I've done a lot of integrations in my in my career, um, and then in the acquisition of, of BluePoint, and then. Jawala about two or three years ago as well integrating both of those businesses in. Um, you know a lot of time and focus was spent on the people in the offices and and you know converting things and um, a lot of process change and and uh, leadership kind of oversight and, making sure that that everything nothing's being lost of the other organization and the way things are folded in you know integration just takes on a life of its own but as you as you pose that question it definitely um a lot of of different ideas are are spinning right because um the business a business we might acquire today may look very different than it did six months ago as it relates to you know, do ever, does everybody congregate in one office? Are they remote and spread out, you know, whereas they might not have been before, but now they can be. Um, does it really, you know, impact you from a location and kind of a, you know, perspective as it relates to an office, you know, do you, do you need to be able to have a space for, for people in multiple places, you know, or, or are there things from that point perspective that can change? You certainly, Doing integration in a time, if we were to acquire something while there's still, you know, major restrictions on travel and and, and time in office, um, creates difficulty because I do think that personal connection with people um, during an integration is super important and is one of the things that really kind of sets the stage from the beginning. Is is having you know that um, that and in, those initial kind of meetings and conversations you know face to face and not being able to necessarily do that um, will certainly pose its own its own challenges, but then there are other things that may be easier um, because an office is not necessarily as important as it was. So you may not need to integrate a lot of real estate or you may not need to think about some of those types of things um, that you might have needed to in the past. so,
0: um, yeah, it'll be right. it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of e- even minor things like you know signage, like you know yeah. things that are you know when you think about what happens to the acquired company's brand and how much of right. that stays and how much goes away. Maybe in a post-COVID world, that that will be quite different, or maybe not quite as important.
1: Yeah. No. Okay. Definitely going to be interesting to think about.
0: Well, what I guess maybe we could just close by, um, you know, looking forward um, and thinking about, you know, how you're thinking about bringing allergen out of this and, you know, adapting to our, our new world, whether it's normal or not. I guess we don't <laughs> know when or if that's going to happen. But what, what would you say your, you know, top two or three priorities are as a leader and as a CEO right now during this time?
1: Um, I would say internally, my top priorities are. Definitely related to the employees, to communication um, and to making sure that, you know, they they all feel like, you know, um, everything we are doing, you know, they are top of mind. Um, the decisions we're making, you know, um, their safety and, and their health and, and you know, their ability to continue to um, to have, um, you know, viable, um, you know, productive jobs is, is still there for them. Um, so I think that's you know decision. Every decision we make right now um, is certainly considering that. I think on the external front, from a you know financial institution perspective, is really um, you know the last six months really gave all of us um, an interesting kind of case study on um, how to change. You know, I mean, a lot of what we do is a, a lot of what we do and a lot of what we sell is about changing consumer behavior if you know whether it's with a digital platform so are you going to log on to your you know to the internet or to on your phone in order to um, do various things at your at your bank or credit union or you know do you want to walk in the bank and, and and certainly you know the the shift to digital is um is something that's pretty um important and critical to the financial institutions but um, for me, it's really taking what we've, what we've seen happen as a case study to, you know, what can we improve? How can we help financial institutions better um, with, you know, obviously the solutions and the services that we provide, but um, are there ways that we can do, do it better to help them in a, in a more profound way than, than we even thought about before? Um, and I think those are, you know, those are the things I'll t- task my team with um, in thinking about and in having conversations, you know, we all have conversations with, with credit union and, and bank leaders to, um, to get their insight, right. To understand what they've, what they've seen, what they've done and, and, you know, where they feel like the improvement is necessary. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll help them along the way.
0: Well, that's great. All right. Well, Dee, some great insights here and we really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.